the three-quarter mile walk back to Jerusalem, I can only imagine what that was like. I think there was probably some stunned silence, some shaking of heads, some talking, like, can you believe what we just saw? And now they're in this place back in Jerusalem, back in the city together. And they have gathered together. And there is something that they are particularly doing regularly. There is one activity that seems to be a focus for them. And we read that as we continue reading in the book of Acts in our sermon series. And we go to Acts chapter 1 verse 13. When they had entered the city, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon, the zealot, and Judas, son of James. All these were constantly devoting themselves to prayer, together with, a certain, together with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers. Uh, this group had devoted themselves, committed themselves to praying. And notice the list. The list of all 11 disciples are there. Women are there as well as men. Notably, Jesus' mother is there and his siblings are there. Most likely uh, in need of some consoling and some making sense of what is going on. And they are praying regularly, devoted. But there's a particular buzz a particular buzz about what's going on. They're talking, and then they're praying, and they continue talking and praying, but there's something specific on their minds. And it was in those days, Peter stood up among the believers. Together, there were about 120 people. 120 people. That's more than a family, a biological family. That's more than a group of friends. There were uh, at least 120 people, a, a, a mixed group that had gathered together. And in those days, Peter stood up among those believers, and he said, Friends, the scriptures had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit through David foretold concerning Judas, who became a guide for those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now, this man acquired a field, that's Judas, required a field with the reward of his wickedness. And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. This became known to all as the residents of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their language, Hakeldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his homestead become desolate, and let there be no one to live in it, and let another take his position of overseer. So Judas was one of the twelve disciples, and he had betrayed Jesus. And it was Judas' betrayal that defaulted him from being a disciple. It wasn't his death. Because the disciples, the apostles, were known as apostles even after their death. It was decidedly because he betrayed Jesus. Luke includes some strong language here because we understand 
that Judas had hanged himself, and Luke describes how he fell and was, uh, his body was opened up when he fell. It seemed like the entire weight of the betrayal of Israel was on Judas, and it's no ins insurmountable uh, moment here. And it's not just coincidence that Peter also notices this. Peter, who had betrayed Jesus, who is now standing to speak. The impact of the disciples, the impact of this betrayal for the leadership was that now there was an apostle vacancy. And that's what the buzz was. That's what the concern was, is that there was a vacancy among the apostles. And you think, well, you know, is it just a leadership thing? No, it's actually an apostle. The significance of the apostles, the unique and, and paramount significance. Listen to what Luke describes in, ver in chapter 22. This is Jesus speaking to the disciples, chapter 22, 28 to 30. You are those, this is Jesus to the apostles, you are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you, just as my Father has conferred on me a kingdom, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and you will sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Those are, that is the role of the apostles, the importance and significance, the uniqueness that they had. They will sit in judgment. God is restoring the 12 tribes of Israel, and he's restoring the 12 tribes of Israel through the 12 apostles. And so it is necessary, now that there is a, a vacancy among the apostles, it's necessary to restore the 12, to restore that place. So this is a significant challenge for this group of people, including the apostles. They have a monumental choice to make. And so Peter continues. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us to his resurrection. So this is what Peter describes. He describes the requirements and the criteria for this apostle. And it's specific, it's particular. The apostle must be one who can share Jesus' teaching, who was present and witnessed Jesus' resurrection, saw Jesus after his resurrection, and saw Jesus in his ascension. It's very specific. So this is a big test for this group, for the existing apostles, the 11, and for the group that had gathered. What are they going to do? How do they handle when they are faced with such a significant decision? This crowd is now working together. This crowd is changing. Instead of just being a motley crew of observers, they are now coming together. What will they do now that they are faced with this monumental decision? You know, uh, I think we idealize the early followers of Jesus Christ. In one sense, we idealize them and, and uh, we, we think that, oh, wouldn't it be great to be back in that day, to, to have that again today? But you know, they face significant 
difficulties and significant decisions and challenges, just like this one that is described here. And what's interesting to me is I think that we can be surprised ourselves when we face difficult decisions or difficulties in life. We're almost surprised by that. As though we are beyond it or that if we're a follower of Jesus that we shouldn't uh, necessarily have difficulties or, or, or make big decisions. But significant decisions face us all the time. Uh, if you're a kid, maybe you do rock, paper, scissors. You know, uh, who's going to pay for the Slurpees? But it's m much more significant than that. In business, there's all kinds of methods and models and tools. When I was in business, we uh, uh, in, in, innovated in, in, in this area of decision-making tools. And so there's all kinds of these tools that, that come into to place. And even as... Uh, Individuals and families, when you're faced with decision-making, maybe you haul out a spreadsheet to calculate the, the scenarios. Big decisions, small decisions, which car to buy, which microwave to buy, this job, that job, can we afford this, where do we spend our time? And in church, we are, in similar fashion, faced with significant decisions from time to time and mostly regularly. And we have... Uh, Groups like we have leadership teams, we have a board, we have elders, we have pastors, we have Sunday school teachers, youth leaders, and so on. Well, what do we do when we're faced with significant decisions and challenges? We have to make a choice. Do we depend on our expertise, our business acumen? Or maybe we see someone who's been successful and we say, well, then, therefore, let's just hear from them and we'll just go with what they say because they've been successful in a certain area. What do we do when we're faced with significant challenges, decisions that need to be made? What is the reason or the rationale behind the decision-making that we take on? Because the reality is we're making decisions and choices all the time. So what I wonder then is as we look at this, what was this burgeoning group that is changing from a crowd to a group that is working together now as followers of Jesus without the physical presence of Jesus? What are they doing when they are faced with this? And what is their reasoning behind it? What motivates them to employ a certain methodology for their decision making? In a short time, I, I will pause for what we call our Q&R, which is our question and response. And I... I encourage you to interact with me. You can text or you can email to ask at westviewchurch.ca as we are continuing here, and I'll pause a little later on for that. So let's go to Acts 1, verse 23. So they proposed to Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was also known as Justus, and Matthias. Then they prayed and said, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in the ministry and apostleship which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias. And he was added to the eleven apostles. So they proposed... Joseph and Matthias. Now when it says that they proposed, uh, Luke is being quite economical in his language here. We don't know what that proposal process was like. But clearly, Matthias and, and, uh, and Joseph 
were qualified based on the criteria and they were proposed. What length that took, what discussion happened, but they both were uh, men that could have met the qualifications and the criteria. And then the next thing they did, because they were devoted to it, is they prayed. The women and the men were there. The apostles were there. Joseph and Matthias were also there. All of them prayed. They prayed together. And what's interesting to me is they must have necessarily at some points prayed out loud, at least in part, because people remembered the prayer and Joseph, uh, rather Luke, recorded what was said in the prayer. And that's why there are times when we pray out loud because we want to join together in the prayer. And that's what happened here. And after they had proposed and they had prayed, they proceeded. And they, Luke says they cast lots. And I know maybe our minds go immediately to this concept of throwing dice or rolling dice or something. That I, I was looking up all the processes of what is called uh, uh, casting lots. And there's a lot of different uh, cultural and traditional uh, activities involved with casting lots. But we can hear what is described here is that they prayed, Lord, show us the one who, and then it says that they cast lots. It sounds a lot more like there was a voting process of some kind. And then it, it fell to one of the two, and they believed in that, and they proceeded, and they said, he is now the apostle, and he was added to the twelve. So what did they do? They submitted and they trusted. They submitted and then they trusted. But here's the thing, in what or in who? What exactly, practically speaking, were they doing? What were they submitting to and what were they trusting in? Man, this week, I wrestled a lot with this passage because I will just confess to you that preaching about prayer is difficult because for most of us, prayer seems to be ordinary. It seems to be mundane. There's nothing sort of fabulous about talking about prayer. When I talked to congregants in, in, over the years and I, I asked them some fundamentals about Scripture and prayer, often... A congregant or a person will say, okay, yeah, that's nice, but what else have you got for me? It's kind of like rudiments in music. And so we gloss over it. We gloss over when we read about this. Even in my preaching, I go back and I look, and how often, when I look at a list of names, or when I look at a mention about prayer, how often do I pause there and consider what is really going on? So for these 120, including the apostles, for them to de be devoted when they left and walked back to Jerusalem and they were devoted, first of all, to one thing, and that was prayer. And when they were faced with this decision, they made a proposal and then all of them prayed together. I wonder, what were they surrendering and submitting to? Well, what's really going on? I think Luke has the answer for us in Luke chapter 6. Remember, he's the author of both of these books. 6 verse 12. Now during those days, Jesus went out to the mountain to pray. And he spent the night in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose 12 of them who he also named apostles. Jesus prayed before selecting the apostles. 
Jesus spent time in prayer, and then it sounds like he might have spent the night in prayer, and then chose the apostles. Prayer for Luke, who was a meticulous recorder of things, prayer was a primary activity of Jesus. Prayer. It was a primary activity of Jesus' personal life. When Jesus was baptized, we understand that as he was being baptized, no, as he was praying, the Spirit came on him. Luke says he often withdrew to a quiet place to pray, chapter 5. He invited a couple of the disciples up onto a hillside to pray with him, and then he was transfigured before them. He prayed often. As a matter of fact, Luke records how he would teach by day and pray by night. And then towards the end, as he's reassuring the disciples, he says to Peter, Peter, Satan has chosen to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. All of those passages are from Luke. They're contained in that link section of the insert, the sermon supplement. Not only did he pray, but he taught about prayer. So much so that the disciples eventually noticed, dude, you're praying a lot. Can you teach us to do what you're doing? And that's when we get, in chapter 11 of Luke, what we've referred to as the Lord's prayers. Because they said, what's going on? You've been... And Jesus would talk to them over and over again. He would say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Persist in prayer. Always pray. Watch and pray. Even when he is in the garden towards the end. Watch and pray. What did he call the temple? He said it was my house. But what did he say about my house? My house shall be called a house of prayer. This crowd who is now an assembly working together had submitted and devoted themselves and trusted in Jesus, had trusted in Jesus' way. Not just in Jesus, but they were trusting in Jesus' way. Followers of Jesus. So I use the phrase follower of Jesus even more so than Christian, even more so than believer. I use the phrase follower of Jesus because it is so laden and it is so focused in particular. Followers of Jesus follow the way of Jesus, which means prayer. That's the politics of Jesus, the, the reason people come together, the reason we live and how we live and how we gather together is a people that prays. It's a distinguishing feature that is now forming this assembly and shaping this assembly. They're becoming the church. But it's on the basis of prayer they're becoming a church founded on prayer. Prayer is not incidental. It's not ordinary. <laughs> and for them, it wasn't overlooked. But why, are, why would we pray? When we pray together, are we changing God's mind? Well, here too, Luke provides a lot of, of, of insight into what's going on with prayer. Notice he says that Judas was a guide that led 
people of wickedness to eventually arrest and kill. Judas was a guide filled by the Satan and the spiritual forces of wickedness. There is another guide, the Holy Spirit, another guide, Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And so when we pray, we are choosing to be guided by the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ. That's what forms and shapes who we are as a people. And so life together, a crowd that forms into a church that now becomes an assembly, is a group of people that are in conversation together with Jesus by the Holy Spirit and each other. Ecclesia is the Greek word for church, and it literally means assembly. It means a coming together, life together with the Lord and each other in conversation. That is hearing and listening and talking. And you notice what was happening there together as those 120. Imagine. You probably have noticed on the news, if you've scrolled around a bit, the McDonald's is now sort of working towards a virtual store, restaurant that has no, not many people in it at all. You can kind of, I mean, you know I've got this thing about fast food and then drive through fast food. Well, we're getting to the next level. <laughs> now it's drive through fast food uh, with basically no people. I was meeting with Steve Cripps, Elder Chair Emeritus. We were talking about the importance of together and being together. And he said this. He said, you know, online, online banking is good. But it doesn't work for church. I'm thankful for technology and that we can live stream. But ultimately, it's an assembly. We come together. And when we come together, we're in conversation together with each other. And particularly by the Holy Spirit with Jesus. He is present with us right now where two or three are gathered together in my name. There I am in their midst. Jesus is here by the Holy Spirit. Jesus is here, brothers and sisters. Jesus is here, brothers and sisters. Jesus is here, brothers and sisters, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we pray and when we are in prayer together, that is no incidental matter. We are listening and in conversation together with Jesus. It's a profound mystery. It's mind-boggling. And people of faith are convinced of it. So we gather and we pray. It was so important to be in person that the Father sent the Son to come in the flesh to be present. This is part of our politics. How we gather and how we live together. A politics of Jesus where we pray together. Why we get together. And what we do when we are together. This assembly. I want to pause uh, for some Q&R. Tyler will join me.
if you have a question, and then we'll take a short time for Q&R, and then we'll, we'll continue. If you have something that you want to ask, you can stand where you are, and we'll get a microphone to you, or you can text or email to ask at Westview Church, and we'll, we'll do it that way. Praise the Lord for his presence among us. Thank you, Lord, that you're present here. If you have a question, we'll take it. If not, we'll keep right on going. Oh, it has died. I'll stand here this Okay, I'll stand. Yeah. One question that came in this morning. Should we blame Judas Iscariot for his betrayal as it seemed he was destined for that piece of the puzzle that would lead to Jesus' death? Or would Jesus have still died if Judas had refused to betray him? Okay, so should we blame Judas or would he have died if, would Jesus still have been crucified if Judas had not betrayed him? Okay, so there's two parts there. Should we blame Judas and would Jesus still have been crucified? The second part I can only say is uh, hypothetical. So that's middle knowledge. I can't answer it. Would Jesus have died? It seems to me that Jesus knew he was going to uh, the cross. It seemed to me that he knew that, that humans would eventually get so riled and roiled up that they would eventually want to kill. Because that is essentially the epitome of Satan and the spiritual forces of wickedness. Their whole trajectory is towards death. So that's what I could say about that. Now, should we blame Judas? You know, do you notice in Luke, Luke does not cast uh, aspersions on Judas. He says what happened, and he leaves it at that. In fact, what he says is, we've got work to do because Judas chose to go to his place. So I am not going to also, I don't think we need to spend a lot of time on uh, the hypotheticals or on blaming uh, Judas for anything. That's actually what happened. The focus really is on rejecting, betraying Jesus or following Jesus and how we will be shaped as a church. So scripture is very clear on the implications of rejecting Jesus. Yeah. Other ones here. Can you give some examples when you were studying about what is casting lots, what that might actually have looked like? Yeah, uh, sure. <laughs> Nerds unite. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, and sorry, if, 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 you, if whoever submitted that, if you took offense to that, I call myself that too. So it's, uh, please, you could come and talk to me afterwards and I'll apologize to you. It's just a a moment, of, a moment of weakness or a kinship, maybe. Um, so, uh, yeah, there, there are times when they've uh, used uh, sticks. So they've, they've used a bunch of sticks. So, for example, if there's a few people, they will cut essentially like what we would call um, straws. Okay? So they will use that. Um, there are times when they've uh, used objects. So uh, I think of the soldiers when they were uh, casting lots uh, for Jesus' clothes. So that was another method when they were using objects that could have been something similar to dice in that case. But what I discovered is that the, the customs uh, varied. Uh, and so it was contextual, what they chose to do. So uh, it would be uh, very similar, like what I was saying when we say, well, uh, and Westview took a vote. 
well, well was it a, a ballot? Was it a raising by hands? Et cetera, et cetera. Were there proxies? Uh, Etc. So I think that that's kind of the, the essence of it. Um, and in this case, because of the context, we hear that they were all together, uh, that they were united in this decision, and it sounds like the decision came to one of the two. So it, the other thing I will say is, in both of these cases, these two gentlemen qualified under the criteria, and we'll learn later on in, in Scripture that uh, Joseph, or also named Justice, you notice the two names there, um, played a role, a significant role, as it was recorded later in Scripture. So these were uh, definitely two people that fulfilled the criteria. Okay, you just beautifully tangent to the next question. Okay. So he is mentioned, but why is it that Matthias, or however we pronounce his name, is not mentioned anymore? In yeah, so that's good. So nerds unite number two. We didn't even make that up. I mean, that's, that's just crazy. That's good. So, so here was the, the, the interesting thing. So Luke was most likely a doctor, and he was uh, very detailed, meticulous. And so you see that at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, where he says, look, I'm trying to do a very meticulous account. And then he starts again in Acts. He says, now, you know, and he, he binds the two together, and he says, I'm going to try again. I'm going to continue this. And what's interesting is we hear so much about Joseph, uh, Barsabbas, and that he was also called Justice, and we're like, oh, this guy's got a prominence, and then Matthias, or Matthias, has very little um, uh, mentioned, and so the setup is, we're thinking, oh, well, Joseph's a shoe, and he's, also, he's got all this recognition, and then it turns out to be Matthias, which is a bit of a, um, a rhetorical uh, a twist going on here. And we actually don't hear much about Matthias after that, because the focus really is on the, the, the decision and the method and the process that they were, were, were uh, undertaking here. This was a test for this group of people, like a test for us going into 2023. So it wasn't so much the, the highlight on the decision taken as the process that they took to get there. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. Interesting. Ooh, good one. Oof. People are paying attention. James 1, 5. That's what happens when you read the book, right? Right. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, the floodgates are open. If anyone lacks wisdom, James 1, 5 says, we'll be given graciously, generously. If this is automatically given, if so, is it our fault for not hearing properly? Okay. So, uh, um, quoting James, what? 1, 5. Okay. Um, if we ask for wisdom. We'll be given generously. Okay. So, it's not automatic. What is, it, what is required? You have to ask. You have to pray. You have to be willing to receive. You have to be willing to submit. We actually have to be humble. And say, under these circumstances, Lord, what, what we need, what we need is wisdom from you. We don't need just wisdom from the smartest woman or man in the room. Heaven help us, right? Thank you, Ken. Knowing it's going to happen. Asking for wisdom. Being humble and then submitting and receiving that wisdom, knowing it's going to happen, trusting and believing. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, good questions. Here. Okay. Casting lots, all of this concept of, of decision making, how does that differ maybe from the Urim and the Thummim? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hesitate yeah. there. Because uh, I would, I'd like to uh, know a bit more about that before I Same answer here. that. Good, that's good. I, I'm familiar, but I, I uh, 
before I compare them, I'd, I'd want to do a bit of uh, more research on that. That's good. Yeah, we can, That's we can good. get back to that. Yeah, yeah. And if some of you have a, a response to that, you can email me. <laughs> um, Ken, did you have a question? No difference. Okay. Okay, no difference. Ken says no difference. Uh, I'm going to invite the music team to come up here. And as they do, uh, so, so brothers and sisters, we have uh, a decision to make about the role and priority of prayer among us. I mean, the role and priority of prayer in your community groups, the role and priority of prayer in your households, and the role and priority of prayer when we gather together. If that is the way of Jesus, then followers of Jesus would follow in that way. I've been reflecting on this and wondering um, at the difficulty that we have in praying together when we come together. And I think part of it is with the advent of microphones and amplification and all of that, it seems like now if we want to pray together, we need to have a bunch of mics. I reflect on if we want to pray together and be a an assembly that spends time in praying together, it also means that, well, with live stream, what do we do, right? Uh, because it's, it doesn't look that great on the screen, air quotes, look that great if we're praying together. We, ha we have something, a, a decision and a priority to make, and you know what's also a decision and a priority, speaking of humility, is that all of us that are uh, slightly more introverted break out into a cold sweat. Because prayer is also uncomfortable. I don't come together to pray together. I come together to everybody like sit shoulder to shoulder and look this way and get my fix and go. If I pray together, I'm going to be vulnerable and we're going to get close and we're going to get really, uh, you know, it's going to be maybe a little bit too familiar and a little too close. But praise the Lord, when the crowd becomes the church, when the crowd becomes the assembly, when the crowd becomes a group of followers of Jesus... I mean, the power that can happen, uh, the power and the promise and the possibilities. I mean, what happens with this little group that becomes 120 and what happens next? Because they prayed. <laughs> That's it. They prayed. They prayed together. They prayed. That just doesn't seem fancy. We have these prayer and praise cards. I want you to take those home with you because as you pray, we'd love for you to record what the Lord is telling you. And if, you're, if he, He's telling you something through prayer or you've experienced a miracle or an answer to prayer, we want to hear about that. We're going to share that together. But I think what we want to do this morning is I think we want to pray. And so music team is going to lead us in the first verse of this song. And while... They're leading us that first verse in this song. They're going to pray these words over us. And instead of singing, just pray. You can pray out loud. You can pray in a murmur. You can pray quietly. They're going to sing. And all of us pray to the Lord. We're together. Pray to the Lord. Just pray. We're going to pray. And then we'll continue in prayer this morning. Lord, hear our prayers. Hear our prayers. Amazing love. Thou welcomes me. Pray you this morning. The kindness of mercy that bow with blood wholeheartedly, my 
to offer a prayer this morning just stand where you are i'll bring my microphone to you my headset to you and you can pray we'll join you in prayer if you want to offer a prayer praise or worship whatever it is whatever prayer you have praise you father for loving us and being patient with us as we we learn father we're so ignorant of what you have for us God, we're just humble children. We're still sinners, saved by grace. For by grace are we saved through faith, that not of ourselves. It's a gift of God and not of works. Praise you, Jesus. Lord, you laid out your hands on the cross, and you said, it's finished. And if he sets us free, we're free indeed. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Jesus, and amen. Amen. Just continue praying here together. Thank you, Lord want to offer a prayer you stand where you are and we'll pray with you as you speak a prayer aloud God you're so good pray that you would comfort those that need comforting Father comfort those that need comforting humble us Lord Jesus as we join yokes with you you said you are gentle and humble in heart and we will find rest for our souls. I pray for those that need rest. Lord, I pray that they can detangle themselves from the scheduling tyranny, create space in our lives so that we have time for you. Praise your name, Jesus. There are those that need healing this morning, Lord relationship healing we pray for those that are hurt we know hurt people hurt people so we pray for healing for those that are hurt and that we would be ambassadors of healing Jesus praise your name this morning heal Lord Jesus this morning pray for our children up in Westview Kids. Thank you for the leaders there in Hanukkah. Bless those children. May they see you and know you. May we learn from them. to our words, O Lord, and consider our meditations. Hearken to the voice of our cries. For unto you we pray, Lord Jesus, in the morning will we lift up our voice to you, and then we will look up. So just in these moments, amen and amen. Amen and amen. God, you're so good. God, you're so good. 
Should this life 